Good afternoon. Our next case is State v. Arthur, and we will hear from the appellant. Chief Justice Newby, your honors, may it please the court. My name is Ann Blyman. I'm from Orange County. I represent the defendant appellant, Roger Arthur. I ask to reserve uh, five minutes or the balance of my time for rebuttal. Mr. Arthur respectfully requests this court acknowledge that the identification of marijuana is not different in degree or kind than other controlled substances. Hemp derivatives are now legal in North Carolina. Anything with less than 0.3% Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinoil, THC, is legal in North Carolina. The illegal form of cannabis, that is marijuana, as prohibited by the Controlled Substances Act, is not visually or olfactorily distinct from commonly available legal items. I've provided this court with examples of how wrongly law enforcement in all their training and experience gets visual and olfactory identification of supposed marijuana. Uh, there's been some interest in this oral argument from folks who, and some attorneys uh, let me know that there is at least one tobacco shop in strolling distance of this court filled with legal items that are undistinguishable based on sight and smell from the illegal form of cannabis. Is, is, there, is there evidence in the record on that point? Uh, making a, a showing about... Uh, on, on the uh, problem of distinguishing between hemp and, and marijuana. The, uh, the, this is a, unfortunately, it's a, it's a plain error case. Uh, it's, and the, one of the issues in this case was there was not a motion for complete recordation. And so there were some bench conferences and those didn't get put into the record. Uh, during the charge conference, the defense attorney mentions that he's beat his head against the wall on the point of what is required to show, but uh, there's nothing in the, in the record making so that. So if, the, if there's no evidence in the record regarding the um, similarities between hemp and marijuana, um, what, what's the impact of that on, on our decision? Are you asking us to take judicial notice? And can we do that? Well, I, I think what you can say is that there is a chemical definition of marijuana, and it's the state's requirement to meet their burden to prove the identity of a controlled substance under Ward. So it doesn't, uh, whether there was a showing about hemp or not uh, in the record, it's just illustrative for this court at the very least about why, why it's important that the state be held to its burden to prove that what they are alleging is marijuana is marijuana, and they can't do it with based on sight and smell alone. Uh, it's not a reliable method, methodology. It's never been proven to be a reliable methodology. It's the state's burden to make that showing. But, but that's sort of what I'm getting at. In saying it's not a reliable methodology, it seems that you're relying on the visual, olfactorial similarities between marijuana and hemp, and we, unless I'm, I'm wrong, we don't have any evidence about that on the record. So how can that inform our analysis? Well, your analysis is informed by Ward, which says the state has to put on evidence that a method is a reliable method. The state didn't make that case in, in this 
in this matter, in any other matter, they've never put it on the record that sight and smell is a reliable method of identifying marijuana. Uh, so there's no justification for treating marijuana prosecutions differently than other controlled substances because of the chemical definition of marijuana, because the state has never laid a foundation that sight and smell is a reliable method. So marijuana prosecutions have to follow the same work as other controlled substance prosecutions. It's the state's burden to prove the identity of the controlled substance. It's the state's burden to comply with Rule 702. There must be expert testimony, and the admissibility of an expert opinion related to the identity of a controlled substance is dependent upon a proven reliable methodology of identification. As I said, sight and smell are not proven reliable methodologies. The state has never made that case. Uh, I'd be happy to reserve a lot of time if there are no other questions about this issue. It's pretty straightforward uh, that the state has a burden. The state hasn't met their burden. Marijuana shouldn't be treated as differently uh, than any other controlled substance. It's got a chemical definition. The state has to prove by expert testimony that there's a reliable methodology for identifying that controlled substance is what they say. If there's no other questions, I'm happy to reserve a huge chunk of time and let the state uh, have a chance. Thank you, Council. Thank you. We'll hear from the FLA. Good afternoon. May it please the court, my name is Heidi Williams. Um, I'm an assistant attorney general at the North Carolina Department of Justice and I represent the state in this matter. Uh, this case raises the question whether it constituted plain error for the trial court to admit the lay testimony of a seasoned law enforcement officer trained in narcotics that a plant material contained in a baggie, removed from the defendant's rectum, and first discovered after guards investigated the scent of marijuana emanating from defendant's jail cell was indeed marijuana based on the sight and smell of the substance. Defendant before this court contends, having harbored his allegation of error as an appellate parachute, that chemical analysis was required to identify the substance as marijuana. This has never been the law in North Carolina. Because the defendant here failed despite repeated opportunities to object to the law enforcement officer's testimony at trial, this issue in front of this court is reviewed for plain error. Counsel, I have a question. Why, why did we treat marijuana differently? I guess still do. What, what was the reason that all other drugs would require some sort of chemical analysis, but not marijuana? Your Honor, I think the reason that the, the precedence of the, the Court of Appeals and of this court has not encompassed marijuana within the decisions of things like Ward and Yamas Hernandez is the fact that marijuana has identifying or distinctive or distinguishing features that are discernible upon sight or smell. Yeah, so you can probably guess from heading with this, which mm -hmm. is at the time that we developed that doctrine, there was nothing else you could possess that had those distinctive characteristics that you could possess legally. Correct. But now you can. And so I guess my question to you is, suppose the, this is a difficult case because of the record, but suppose at a trial, mm -hmm. a law enforcement officer testified, yeah, I came into a house, I saw on a table what looked to me to be marijuana and it smelled like marijuana. 
And then the defendant called an expert witness who said, I can testify as an expert that hemp is indistinguishable in, from human human observation, from sight or smell, from marijuana. There's no way to know if what was sitting on that table was hemp or marijuana. Could a trial court send, and that's all there is, could a trial court send that case to the jury? I mean, could a reasonable jury really say beyond a reasonable doubt on that evidence alone that it's the marijuana and not the hemp? Yeah, so Justice Heath, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the question that's in front of the court today because at the time defendant committed his crimes, we were operating under the law as it existed in 2019. So the Controlled Substances Act, at the time the defendant committed these crimes, defined marijuana as all parts of the plant of the genus cannabis, whether growing or not, the seeds thereof, the resin extracted, et cetera, et cetera. So all parts of a cannabis plant, but then it stated in the definition of marijuana applicable to the time defendant committed his crimes that the term does not include industrial hemp as defined in NCGS 106.568.51, right? So then necessarily we have to look at, well, what was the definition of industrial hemp? Is that something that required chemical analysis in 2019 or was it not? And the state would submit that based on the definition of industrial hemp in effect in 2019, which is the question in front of this court today, chemical analysis was not required. So under the definition, um, industrial hemp was defined at the time of this offense as all parts and varieties of the plant cannabis sativa L cultivated or possessed by a grower licensed by the Industrial Hemp Commission. Right? And there is case law from the North Carolina Court of Appeals, not from this court yet, that says a proper reading of the Controlled Substances Act in 2019, when these kinds of offenses were coming up, it was the state's burden to prove that a substance was marijuana or was the plant species cannabis sativa L. But then it, it, the burden to prove an exemption or exception to that then fell to the defendant to say, no, this was actually legally possessed because I satisfied all of the definitions either as industrial hemp, which was the exception in 2019. Since then, the legislature has changed the law. So now marijuana excludes hemp and hemp, um, I believe it's hemp products is the other word in the statute today, right? But we're operating in 20, the law in 2019 when defendant committed his crime. And defendant has made no allegation, either below or on appeal, that he was, in fact, that the, the substance he was possessing was somehow cultivated or possessed by, by a grower licensed by the Industrial Hemp Commission. So even apart from any discussion of chemical analysis, the fact that defendant doesn't meet that definition, has never alleged that he meets that definition, means that he, he's not entitled to relief. There's no way he can satisfy that exemption or exclusion requirement of, of the statute. So to your question, Justice Dietz, whether or not in a future case, you know, when we're operating under marijuana excluding just hemp or hemp products, um, that would be a different question. Um, and that's not a question I'm comfortable opining on as it's not the facts that are in front of the court today. Um, but kind of redirecting, because we're operating, because these crimes occurred in 2019, the law existing in 2019 um, required the defendant to prove that, that what he possessed was industrial hemp and he has not even made an allegation that that was the case. So, so if I can just be clear on what I think the logical conclusion of what you're arguing is. So you're suggesting that 
As the law existed in 2019, it was not plain error for the trial court to admit lay opinion testimony about the substance in question. Correct. But that under current law, a different conclusion, you're, you're not willing to opine on it, but a different conclusion could be reached regarding the admissibility of lay opinion testimony. Your Honor, I'm essentially yes. So the, the only question in front of this court is, is involving the law as it existed in 2019. What the right answer would be in a future case, that's, that's something that we haven't briefed. It's not, that's not an issue in front of the court today, so I'm not going to opine on, on what may or may not be the right answer to that question. Um, but at, under the facts and circumstances that are in front of this court today, the defendant cannot establish plain error in the admission of testimony that was allowed under the, the precedence of both this court, or wasn't excluded by the precedence of this court, and was explicitly allowed under uh, case law from the Court of Appeals. Looking at a bit of that case law, since 1988, the Court of Appeals um, has held in State versus Fletcher that a police officer may provide testimony identifying when plant material is marijuana. Um, in Fletcher, the Court of Appeals held that although chemical analysis may be used to establish a substance as being marijuana, that's not required. Uh, that kind of direct evidence is not needed. The fact that opinion testimony is instead used as a mechanism for the state to prove its case is not fatal to the case and does not render the testimony insufficient to establish that the material was in fact marijuana. Now again, this court has taken a different approach when it comes to non-identifiable substances like crack cocaine in Yamas Hernandez and then powdered cocaine and pills. Um, those things are, are, this court has said, are different, right? Because there aren't distinguishing characteristics that are visible to kind of the naked eye. Especially given the history of the case law and the fact that Fletcher has never been overruled. It's still good law in this state unless and until this court says otherwise, it's very difficult and the state would submit this, the defendant cannot establish plain error based on the admission of that testimony here. Both this court and the United States Supreme Court have emphasized repeatedly that plain error is, review is, or excuse me, that relief under the plain error standard should be used sparingly and only in exceptional circumstances to reverse a criminal conviction on the basis of an unpreserved error. This court in State versus Lawrence has affirmed that a defendant must demonstrate that a fundamental error occurred at trial, and to show that an error was fundamental, they, the defendant bears the burden to establish precedence. Additional opinions from this court, like State versus Grice, have emphasized that in order that the plain error standard requires the defendant to show that a prejudicial error was one that seriously affected the fairness, integrity, or public reputation of the judicial proceedings. Counsel, I, I'm sorry to throw you off. Yeah, that's uh, okay. But, but I wanted to, to follow up on um, Justice Earl's questions and your answers to, 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 to that. Um, so it seems to me that the Court of Appeals opinion is articulates a broader rule than, than what you have um, said, that you, you've made an argument based on the state of the law in 2019, and you've acknowledged that you know, there's a, at least a possibility that um, that rule might not apply today because we have different statutory provisions. Um, should the COA's opinion be left standing? That is, would you, um, are, are you urging us to narrow 
the, the, the COA's opinion? Because it seems to me it, it, it just stands for the proposition that lay testimony regarding or identifying marijuana is permissible. Uh, Your Honor, I think there's a couple of reasons that this court doesn't need to intervene to somehow clarify that the Court of Appeals opinion is that was issued applies to the, 20, the law in 2019 as it existed. One of those reasons is that the Court of Appeals opinion here is unpublished. So it already lacks precedential binding value moving forward to future cases. By virtue of the fact that it's unpublished, it's limited to the circumstances that were in before the court right then and there. So that, that would certainly weigh against this court needing to intervene. Uh, another point to that, I guess, Justice Allen, is, is the state is certainly not taking the position that in a future case, the reasoning used by Arthur could not be applied or would not be correct. And certainly the parties in future cases, I mean, again, recognizing that this opinion is unpublished, could argue for or against, could say, yes, the reasoning employed by Arthur still applies when marijuana only excludes hemp or hemp products versus the law that was in effect when the court decided that case. Um, but particularly because the opinion, nothing in the opinion would prevent parties from, you know, kind of teasing those issues out in a, in a future judicial setting. That's just not the question that's in front of this court here today. And again, just by virtue of the fact that the opinion is unpublished, that would certainly weigh against this court needing to say anything definite. Um, in addition, if this court were to issue an opinion, certainly, you know, then all of a sudden we have the question, well, is it, is it limited just to that 2019 law? Um, and recently this court uh, denied leave to appeal uh, in State versus Teague where uh, the state made very similar arguments as far as, you know, if the court is going to go through the trouble of issuing an opinion, in that case too, they were dealing with the 2019 Industrial Hemp Act, the language of the Controlled Substances Act and the Industrial Hemp Act as those existed in 2019. And certainly in the future, these kinds of cases will disappear at some point based on the fact that the definitions have changed. So, so cases raising these precise legal questions that are in front of the court will become scarce. But then are you suggesting we should, in this case, um, determine that discretionary view was improvidently allowed? Your Honor, I think that would be a reasonable outcome for this case. So the state would urge this court either uh, to issue an opinion affirming the decision of the Court of Appeals as to the laws that existed in, in 2019 when the defendant committed these crimes, or alternatively to conclude that review was improvidently allowed in, in these circumstances. And just to clarify, the state is not asking us to embrace as as the rule going forward the Court of Appeals decisions that you talk about in your brief that that allow lay opinion identification of marijuana. Your Honor, the state is not expressing any opinion on what that looks like under the new laws that are in existence in 2022. I mean, that's just not the question that's in front of the court and the state isn't here to try to opine on future legal questions that haven't been briefed by the parties, that haven't been thoroughly discussed. So I think, Justice Riggs, that's a correct assessment that the state is not taking a position on how those opinions would, would apply in the future. That's, that's a question for another case, for another set of circumstances. Unless the court has any additional questions, I thank you for your time. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal.
Well, I'll just start, if I may, by saying that 2019 isn't the important date. The important date is 2010, which is the decision in Ward, which was in effect at the time of the trial in this matter. And the question is, does the rule in Ward apply to marijuana prosecutions? And the things that are stopping it from applying are that this court should make a merits-based decision on cases that pre-existed ward that have to do with the identification of marijuana like Fletcher because otherwise it will keep just being decided by the Court of Appeals that there's some kind of exception to marijuana even with the Industrial Hemp Act. That's what's happening is that all of these cases uh, are just being decided like well we can't do anything because there's these cases that say marijuana is different in kind even after the passage of the Industrial Hemp Act. So this court does need to make a merits-based decision or no matter the year of prosecution of future marijuana cases, that's just going to be a recurring issue. Uh, and I did want to say about the state's claim about needing to raise some kind of exemption defense it uh, appears to be a, uh, some kind of burden shifting of proof under the criminal defendant. The statute that the state cited for that, uh, 9113.1, that was raised in Teague. Uh, it was raised in the context of an indictment issue. There's not an indictment issue in this case, but there was a question about whether the indictment needed to include language about the exemption from the controlled substance prosecution. And uh, also, it's not that legal hemp is an exemption to the prohibition against possessing illegal marijuana. Uh, it's not the defendant's burden to demonstrate possession of a legal substance. The state has the burden of showing that a defendant possesses a controlled substance. The exception provision would maybe be raised by a defendant to, uh, if they were claiming the right to possess a controlled substance, like that, that they had a valid prescription for for an opioid, but this exception does not allow the state to shift its burden in these types of prosecutions. Uh, the exception does not excuse the state from proving the substance was a controlled substance in the first place. Uh, so those are, um, uh, the, the state, again, with, with Teague and with, with Grice, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, and both of those were cases that had to do with probable cause, search and seizures. A lot of these cases, the marijuana cases, have come up in the context of search and seizure issues. This case is not about search and seizure issues. It's about why should marijuana be treated differently than any other controlled substances as long as Ward is, uh, says that you have to have expert testimony and that expert testimony has to be based on a reliable methodology. So uh, I would say that this court's decision in Ward is binding precedent. North Carolina now does have a chemical definition of illegal marijuana, but again, Ward was already in effect in 2010, and it didn't, it, it, Ward didn't carve out an exemption for marijuana. It included all schedules of the Controlled Substance Act. The state must present expert analysis based on proven, reliable methodology that alleged marijuana meets 
the statutory definition of that controlled substance. They've never laid that foundation. Sight and smell are not proven reliable methodologies of identification of marijuana. Defendant Roger Arthur respectfully requests this court reverse the decision of the Court of Appeals that denied Mr. Arthur relief from his marijuana convictions and sentence. If there are any other questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. But if not, I very much thank you for your time. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both.